0: Welcome to Establish the Edge. I'm your host, Mike Leone. Excited to bring you a solo podcast today. And we're going to be looking at uncertainty in fantasy football and why targeting uncertainty can be one of the most profitable things you do to try and win your league. Before we get into that, though, I do want to know what the podcast is brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. They right now, in their Best Ball Mania 3 tournament, have an absurd $2 million top prize to first place. They also have a million dollars to second place a million dollars to the regular season points champion. So three different shots to win a million dollars. Right now, we have full best ball rankings for underdog up on Establish the Run. And more importantly, if you use promo code ETR when you sign up, they're going to match your first deposit up to $100. So unbelievable contest, great deal to get your free hundred bucks. And it's also really good practice for your home league to get into real money drafts versus you know some of the mock drafts you might do around the industry really don't replicate the real draft environment you're going to see in your home league. So check out Underdog. Use promo code ETR for up to $100 in free entries. Back to today's topic, which is uncertainty in fantasy football. I think the general fantasy football player, the more casual fantasy football player, has a natural tendency to want to rely on something really tangible when they make a draft selection. So especially when we get out of the first couple rounds, first couple rounds can be kind of easy because you know, it's it's all the top guys. There's not a whole ton of room for extra profit. When we get into the third round and beyond players want to see a past production profile. They want to see a lot of projectable volume and those things you can see where they make sense, but ultimately it's pretty flawed to draft player like solely on past production solely on what their projectable volume looks like. And people tend to shy away from players where there's more uncertainty where the situation has changed around them or where that player maybe hasn't shown, maybe they've shown the talent, but they haven't shown the past production yet to, you know, deem them worthy of a fourth round pick or whatever. And people tend to shy away from those players because they want that tangible thing. They can grasp when they're, when they're drafting their players, but there's a lot of flaws in that approach. Uh Something if you listen to the off season's projections podcast special with Ben Gretsch, The way we define this is the natural tendency for casual players is to draft players that could be small hits and possibly big misses, when in reality, if we target uncertainty, we can draft players that maybe are small misses, but have the potential to be big hits. And that's really what we're after. And the reason why the the tangible approach for the average fantasy player is flawed is one, generally, if we've seen someone like, let's say... Now, Keenan Allen's a tough one because I think the offense has changed in the Chargers, so he's a little bit different. But let's say this was Keenan Allen, maybe like, you know, without the juiced up Staley offense. He would be someone we'd want to avoid because it's a really volume dependent wide receiver. He's got the past production profile, but there's not really any room for upside beyond that. He's starting to age a little bit. If we draft him based solely on his production relative to the other wide receivers in the draft landscape, he's probably a top 10 wide receiver but he's never going to be a top three wide receiver. And all these players are generally riskier than they appear. I I tend to think of uh, Nicholas Taleb and his barbell approach that he talks about in the book, Anti-Fragile, if you haven't read that yet. And his point is a lot of people, if you think, imagine a barbell, you've got the two big sides and then the narrower middle, longer middle. A lot of people spend time in the middle and that middle section is the section is the trap section. And the reason why it's a trap section is you're not getting the upside reward of the very riskier end, but you are probably unknowingly taking on as much risk as you are on the upside end. Um, that's because of tail events and the NFL, there's so much chaos and whatnot guys falling off age cliffs, guys getting hurt. Um, you know, different teammates around them, maybe coming out of nowhere and taking some of the projectable volume that we thought was going to be for the player that we drafted. And so in some ways you want to avoid that middle. Um, and, And that's why those, those picks are riskier because you're not getting the payoff, the big time payoff, but you're taking on more risk than it seems on face value. Whereas if we lean into uncertainty, the profit potential is so much larger because we're paying A low, we're getting a discount because we haven't seen the upside yet. We haven't seen what the production profile looks like yet. And if you look at past league winners, and this podcast is going to focus mostly on wide receivers, I think that's the position this year where I see it most. But we'll touch on a couple running backs. But if you look at the past few years, some of the league winners, Cooper Cup last year, Stefan Diggs, and Keenan Allen a couple of years ago, what do they all have in common? quarterback switches you know big big changes in quarterbacks changes in coaches changes in offenses uh, and those guys hit a level that they hadn't previously And, and some of those guys came at big discounts because of you know the uncertainty of their situation so instead of the market saying hey maybe there's some upside here we haven't seen the market was like oh we better we better stay away from these players because Uh, You know, we don't know what's going to happen. The quarterback play is probably going to be worse. Like in the case of Stefan Diggs turned out to be a lot better. And some of these situations are unique. I'm not saying they're exactly repeatable, but the cup one's really good one. You know, it was a good offense and you go from Jared Goff to Matt Stafford and all of a sudden he explodes. And I think Cooper cup had more upside than Robert Woods last year, but I think Robert Woods was a good pick too, for, for the very same reasons, just a little bit worse of an individual upside profile. And then some of the other league winners, two years ago, Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase last year, no surprise, it's rookies. It's guys that haven't done anything yet that have a really low floor because we don't know where the playing time is going to be. We don't know how good they're going to be at the NFL level, but when they hit, they can hit in such an extraordinary way um, because that talent could be really high and they can just earn that volume as a result of their talent. And that's really not priced into the draft cost. So younger wide receivers tend to be really profitable picks overall. Uh, and one thing I want to step back and look at here, you can't just draft all players in uncertain situations. So you do need to think through critically a little bit. And that's why I think the projections work we do with the established to run uh, season long projections, which help to funnel and feed to our rankings help a ton. Basically, we're giving guys A base scenario, which is like your projectable volume, which you know does still matter. um, but we're also looking at an upside case and kind of like the odds that this player might hit this upside or maybe the odds they fall off a cliff. And having those projections really give you a framework because we still need to be price sensitive. You know, if Stefan Diggs, the year he got traded from Minnesota to Buffalo, was going in the fourth round, even though he delivered much better value than that ultimately, I think he would have been a bad pick. I think we would have said, okay, we're given. Him too much credit for his talent, and we're not baking in the uncertainty of the new situation enough. Generally, what happens is the opposite, though. He goes in the seventh round, and the risk reward is totally flipped. Um, so we do need to be price sensitive, and I do think projections help to ground us, because if we don't have projections, we don't have any sort of framework, it's really easy to talk ourselves into just anyone. Um, I think last year, two guys that I liked a lot were Brandon Ayuk and Antonio Gibson. As upside plays, but their draft costs kept escalating and escalating and escalating, and now all of a sudden that that small miss, big hit starts to transform into you know potentially a small hit, big miss. So do need to be price sensitive. And I think projections help us a lot, not only to visualize a a base to kind of be anchored to a little bit, but to understand what the realistic upside actually is. Um, I know. Now, you could again this year is a breakout candidate. Really love the player in a vacuum, but understanding how the past attempts and the offense runs for San Francisco and feeding that into projections make me a little bit more worried. Whereas someone like Gabriel Davis for Buffalo, uh seeing you know how that offense operates and the different pieces that are there and the projectable volume, what I'm seeing with Gabriel Davis is The risk here is a lot lower than people think. Like people think he's a high risk, high upside pick. I actually think he's a low risk, high upside pick. When you truly look at who he's competing for in terms of snaps and how many targets are available in Buffalo and just how good of an offense it is, how many pass attempts you're going to have, how many pass catchers they can support. So there's a really big difference between, you know, Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis both going early and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk and George Kittle going early. So I do think the projections matter quite a bit. So uh, let's look at some situations that I want to lean into this year in terms of uncertainty. The first one for me is Kansas City. Uh, Their pass catchers in particular, Kansas City is the if you look at their average team total for the season, there's a tier one uh, that's like a full point above everyone else, essentially, and that is Kansas City, Buffalo, and Tampa Bay. These teams are going to score. Kansas City. Kansas City sends out a first round wide receiver in Tyreek Hill, and they replace him with a combination of Juju Smith-Schuster, drafting Sky Moore, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. So there's a ton of fantasy points to be replaced here if you think this offense still operates at a high level, which Vegas does. And I think our confidence in an Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes-led offense, I and mean, we're talking about already one of the best quarterbacks of all time, there's gonna be a ton of points here. It's also a team that's routinely near the top of the league in pass rate over expectation, even if they dipped a little bit there. Uh, they're in a more competitive division than they've been in the past. So their game script may not be as favorable, and that could offset and keep them as a really high pass rate team. So we right now in our PPR rankings have Juju, Skymore, and MDS all ahead of their fantasy pros, PPR, ADPs. The one we have most ahead is Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm really excited for Juju. I think him in particular really resembles this uncertainty type thing. Um, all three of these guys do, but Juju in particular, because we've seen a past level of dominance from him, he's still in his peak wide receiver years and the quarterback switch front for him is massive. He goes from being overshadowed by Deontay Johnson, uh, in a big Ben led offense that was, you know, it, it just had to operate a certain way because of Ben's lack of arm strength and lack of talent. So The shift from Big Ben to Patrick Mahomes is massive. I think Juju here probably going to run so many routes for Kansas City that when you're talking about him at wide receiver 34, which is a wide receiver three, the risk is really mitigated where just from being out there in this offense, he should be fine. If he can turn back the clock, big if, but if he can turn back the clock and be the dominant player, and benefit from the quarterback switch. So there's kind of two levels of uncertainty. It's like, is he still really good? I don't know. Does the did the Big Ben stuff affect him in a huge way? And going to Patrick Mahomes would be a huge shift. I think so. But like, we can find out at this price tag. So, really into Juju Smith Schuster. MVS has a little bit of the uncertainty too, where he's played with Devontae Adams before. I'm still just concerned that his target earning potential. Is capped. Uh, whereas for Juju, I mean, Juju could be a 25% target share guy. Don't see that in the range of outcomes for MBS. MBS is more like, to me, you're hoping that he's an 18 to 20% target share guy, which would be a leap for him, and that he's pretty efficient on those targets. So I'm not as into him. Sky Moore is the guy in the middle for us. We have him with a lower base projection than MBS, but that target earning potential for him could be really high. You know, it's a rookie prospect that we liked a lot ends in a great landing spot. You know, if Juju isn't it, uh, it could very well be Sky Moore earning a ton of targets. So like targeting Kansas City, quite a bit, particularly Juju. Another team with a lot of uncertainty, uh, we go to the Giants. And this is a team that goes from Joe Judge, really boring offense, not a creative coach, to Brian Dayball, who... Helped lead, you know, the Josh Allen rise in Buffalo, an offense that's been really high in pass rate over expectation. The pace is going to be a lot higher. So again, if people are drafting the Giants based on pass production, you know, they're staying away from Saquon Barkley for injury reasons. They're staying away from the pass catchers because it's been a low volume, low efficiency pass offense. But those numbers don't really matter at all. Um, and Kadarius Toney is the one that we're way ahead of ADP on. <laughs> And like Juju, I think Tony gets the uncertainty in two ways. First way is like this systemic offense uncertainty that we're looking at where the Giants could just score way more points and just have way more fantasy points available to all of their players than before. But the second is him individually flashed in a huge, huge way in a really small sample last year. So it's really easy for you know, and again, the casual player who's risk averse to discount and say, that's a small sample. Tony wasn't a great pro- prospect. I'm going to ignore it, uh, but we're kind of seeing, wow, like those targets per route run, he did something we didn't imagine he could do. And we need to change our priors quickly on Kadarius Tony. So I'm into him, but really all the wide receivers, Wondell Robinson, an undersized rookie wide receiver, but sounds like he's pegged for the slot role right away and He's a rookie, and there's always like some uncertainty there. Kenny Galladay, I think, has the least amount of profit potential at his price tag, but I still think he's a solid value where he could be a 19% target share guy who just gets a lot more efficiency if this offense can operate the the way we want. And then you look at Saquon Barkley. If we knew Saquon Barkley was going to be healthy, there's just not too many backs that have his combination of talent i mean he was one of the best running back prospects we've ever had his combination of workload potential he could play almost all the running back snaps he can do all of the things you know he can break the long run uh in those low value touches between the 20s he's going to get goal line work and he's going to get work in the passing game so it, it just and the team could score a lot more like he would be a top five pick uh, if people weren't super scared you know we're still taking in Again, if he was a top five pick, that might be the point where I would say, okay, people are too confident here and over-assuming that there's no health risk, overassuming the offense is going to be better. But you start getting into the back end of the second round, even the mid-second round, you know, he's the type of back that has the upside that you want. So pretty into Saquon Barkley. Uh, there's some younger players too that Anthony Amico had a podcast with me five wide receivers that you need to target this year, five breakout wide receivers. And all those guys kind of fit the exact mold that we talked about. But, you know, a few in general that we hit on that podcast, Gabriel Davis, Amon Ross St. Brown, who's not getting enough credit, in my opinion, for his huge stretch at the end of the season, where he basically had a floor of a 30% target share over a long stretch of games, which is insane. Um, Chase Claypool, huge quarterback shift, past. Uh, evidence that he could be a really high upside type of player. I don't want to go into those guys too much because we did the podcast, but make sure you fire that because almost all those guys fit what we're talking about. Another team situation, though Denver Broncos. Man, Denver, especially with Tim Patrick going down, I mean, we want to lean into the fact that one of these receivers could have a huge ceiling. They've got two talented receivers in Jerry Judy and Cortland Sutton. Uh, we lean Judy in our PPR ranks over Sutton. When we bake in ADP on some sites, and if it's like half PPR, Sutton might squeak ahead. The case for Judy is he's the type of player that could just demand so many targets and and really just crush Sutton on targets and be a PPR monster. The case for Sutton is we've seen it even last year at times when Judy was out. He had some monster air yard games. He's a guy who can get downfield and that fits well. Um, Of course, I buried the lead. The reason why we're targeting the Denver wide receivers is just a massive switch at quarterback from Drew Locke slash Teddy Bridgewater to Russell Wilson. Just huge shift in efficiency. We also get a new coaching staff. If this team can even be like a neutral pass rate team, a neutral pace team, you know, the things for Russ in this passing game, like again, some of these guys aren't going to pay off their price tag. But one of them could hit in a huge way, and that hit is more important than someone, you know, failing their ADP by a couple of rounds. So really into Judy and Sutton. Um, and then you know I mentioned the rookies. We want we want to get in rookies and younger wide receivers. A few that I really like: Traylon Burks is the first one for Tennessee where his cost right now is so low where he he could be a zero especially in managed leagues he could be a zero and that's fine like if he's if he's going to go off outside the top 100 even let's say 90th overall i mean those picks in your draft again this goes back to kind of the the barbell approach the risk on those picks is way more than you think it is the percentage of seventh to 10th round picks that are going to get dropped in your league at some point is huge so I'm focused on the upside with Traylon Burks and it's funny he's a high risk high reward prospect to begin with which is why in dynasty you know some people have him number one some people don't have him you know even as the second wide receiver they have Drake London they have Garrett Wilson you know guys like that ahead of him but he steps into a situation where We see the path to targets. We're not assuming he's just going to get A.J. Brown level of targets, but the path is there. The talent is there from a prospect profile. He's got a decent quarterback in Ryan Tannehill um, who's been able to support an efficient passing game at times, even though it's been a low volume passing game. So I'm really into him. And the other wide receiver, Drake London, we have ranked a little bit ahead. And London to me is a little bit lower risk than Burks, a little bit lower reward as well. He does have to compete with Kyle Pitts for targets, though having two good receiving options in an offense is not a bad thing because it's it's like just enough to take pressure off one another, but not too much that there aren't enough targets to go around. So London, first wide receiver off the board in the NFL draft makes him a little bit less risky than Burks, and he's, he's just going to have to play right away. They they lost Russell Gage. They lose Calvin Ridley to suspension. And the only reason he's not going higher is because he's a rookie and people don't know what he can do. I mean that's what it comes down to. People don't know. There's not anything specific they're worried about. They just don't know. So they're not drafting him early when there's other players that they quote unquote do know about. So like Hunter Renfro going off at of wide receiver 32. We have him at wide receiver 39. Like it, I'm hard pressed to draft Hunter Renfro ahead of Drake London and Traylon Burks, even though, you know, Renfro is more of a, there are some routes where he could be really good in PPR and in like in best ball leagues, but like in managed league, you're not going to get that top 10 type of season from Renfro. You could get it from Burks or Tony. I also like Rondell more, a decent bit. If you look at Arizona, I think there's some uncertainty there where Rondell he disappointed in a lot of ways his rookie year. It seemed like it was wheels up for him early in the season. He made a few big plays and was going to get some opportunity. And then he really was used in this role where, I mean, his a dot was like historically low. Um, even with a couple of those big, you know, downfield targets factored in the hope year too, is like, what if they use him in more creative ways? We've got a Deandre Hopkins suspension for six weeks, you know, Um, They did bring in Marquise Brown, but they lost Christian Kirk. We've got uh, an offense that's pretty good, a quarterback that's pretty good. You know, there's some routes to Rondell Moore getting off to a hot start. And if he does, even when DeAndre Hopkins comes back, he's going to have a role. So uh, he's a prospect I don't want to give up on too quickly or too early. So at times, though, you know, leaning into uncertainty I can be hypocritical to an extent where there are some situations where I'm afraid to lean into the uncertainty, or I think the market's overconfident in. One is Green Bay. And it's weird because they lose a top two fantasy wide receiver in Devontae Adams. They don't really have anyone to replace him. You would think a wide receiver should be going pretty early here. And that's what the market's decided a little bit with Alan Lazard. You know, his ADP is not insane at wide receiver 45. We have him at wide receiver 52. We're ahead of his overall ADP because we're so high on drafting wide receivers in managed leagues. But positionally, we're pretty low on Lazard. We're very low on Christian Watson. Uh, We're even a little bit low on Romeo Dubs, who's gotten a a lot of hype. So, the concern with Green Bay, even though this is a situation that has uncertainty, you lose Devontae Adams, a huge Monsters target share guy. You've got an offense that's expected to score a lot of points and has an efficient quarterback. What gives? Well, I'm worried about the efficiency of the offense losing Devontae Adams. You know, we did see a couple years for Aaron Rodgers where he started to dip and become more human. And then him and Devontae Adams went on this huge stretch um, the last few seasons. And Rodgers has been MVP. Type of quarterback. So I'm a little bit worried though that Rodgers' efficiency could drop off between age and losing Devontae Adams. I'm worried that this offense could run at a pretty slow pace overall um, and that they're not going to be that pass heavy as well as running slow pace. So we might not have a ton of volume. We might lose efficiency. And what I'm doing, again, this is where the base projections help. Because if you don't have the base projections, it's easy to say, oh, Alan Lazard, now wide receiver one, Let's go. Easy pick at 100th overall. Well, you start doing the projections, and this is a team that could like none of these guys have really earned targets in a big way. And I think it could be really spread out between Tunyon. I think Randall Cobb's going to be annoying. Thorn in the side of people that want Alan Lazar and Christian Watson to be a thing. As far as the rookies go, Christian Watson um, getting off to a slow start at camp, not not fully healthy. Already someone we thought was pretty raw. I think he could be an end of season contributor, kind of interested in him on the waiver wire. But it seems like Romeo Dubs is ahead of him right now. And Dubs is like he's another guy where I get why people are excited. I thought he was a great late-round pick for a while. Um, but then his price, you know, starts to escalate. And, you know, we're putting a lot of confidence in a fourth-round wide receiver here. There is someone sir he's probably the one I'm most interested in of these receivers. Um Sammy Watkins, we don't know if he's going to make the team. If he doesn't make the team, I guess the uncertainty here is like these targets that we have really spread out. Maybe get a little bit more concentrated. Um, and if he does make the team, I, I do kind of wonder if he is right up with Lazard in terms of targets per game. So you know, I just think it's a really messy situation. And with Lazard in particular, I think the market's overconfident that he's the guy. If you look at his past target shares, I know he's playing with Devonte Adams, but he was never really able to to earn like a massive, I wouldn't even say massive, like even like a mid-level type of target share. He's been really efficient on a per-target basis in the role he's been in, but it's hard for me. Like, I think the market is assuming that his role is going to change in a a meaningful way in terms of his target level, but his efficiency is going to hold. And I think that there's an overconfidence there. So I'm not on Lazard. If I look at KC, like really into their wide receivers, but at running back, You know, Ronald Jones is a guy that we've been really below ADP on. Uh, We've been more ahead of ADP on Isaiah Pacheco and Jarek McKinnon. Clyde Edwards-Elaire has shown enough that we're right to be scared of him. And we want to target the uncertainty in whether or not he holds on to a major role there by drafting backs behind him in the depth chart, who in an premier offense could provide fantasy value but um again you need to take into account price sensitivity when you're in like 10th 11th round where rojo was going a few weeks ago you have to be sure of two things given the opportunity cost when you can draft you know some some other backs with with some really good contingent value and the two things are one if something happens to clyde edwards z lair is rojo even the the next guy up and with jarek mckinnon and isaiah pacheco there I, i don't I think you're assuming something that's uncertain if you're taking him in the 10th round. And two, what do you win when you win? Let's say he does supplant Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, whether due to talent, whether due to injury, what's his role look like? Well, it's still probably a split role. He's not getting the pass down work. I think it's a small win. I don't think it's a huge win. Now, you know, you fast forward a week or two and the Isaiah Pacheco hype's real and Rojo's ADP is dropping by four or five rounds. I'm interested in Rojo in round 14. The opportunity cost is lower. That risk-reward starts to shift. I, I, I want to buy him there. You know, the Fantasy Pro's ADP is generally lagging. As you can see here, he's 130th overall in RB42. We have him 193 and RB56. Um, I wouldn't mind drafting him more closer to RB50 and like around the 160s. Uh, I think that's fine depending on need. And when you're drafting running back late too, like Isaiah Pacheco, I think you could leapfrog a handful of running backs if you're drafting pure upside. But again, that's that's the difference between when you're drafting a handcuff in rounds 10 and 11 that you think is going to have some upside, or a back that has like maybe small usability with upside beyond it. You know, the bar for me is higher there than it's going to be in rounds 15 through 18, uh, or even starting around 14. And that's, again, the difference in dealing with uncertainty and trying to visualize the range of outcomes. You know, it's what's the opportunity cost? what's the upside if this pick hits, you know, what are the chances that upside hits? And I think we've identified a lot of players where if you look at those three things, um, they're in your favor at current ADP to, you know, potentially give you some huge wins. So hopefully this podcast was helpful in teaching you to deal with uncertainty. Again, this is the Establish the Edge podcast. I'm Mike Leone. I host it every week. Please uh, rate, review us on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe, throw us a like, helps me to do podcasts and shows like this for free. I'm going to have another podcast out soon looking at the differences between best ball and managed leagues. something that might seem obvious at face value, but I think there's some pretty interesting differences and some differences that the market sometimes not only gets wrong, it's it wrong in the exact opposite way. It, you know, it assumes completely incorrectly. All right. Thanks for tuning in everybody. See you next time.